0: Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last, so hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. Yeah, here we are. I know it sounds different, everyone. Sorry, I didn't realize how terrible my headset was. Hey, (laughs) back on the mic. And I brought it to, I'm still, yes, I'm still here in Studio B in the coronavirus bunker. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited to be talking to our guest today. She's amazing. I've known her for a couple of years now. Um, and more importantly, I've seen her work. I've attended the events she's helped organize. She is a passionate marketer. She is an ABM expert, but not the kind of expert that like tells you things. Um, and then you're like, how in the world am I going to apply this? This is like the everyday people's expert. This is the ABM for everybody episode, right? This is, we're going to get expert. Expert. (laughs) Yes, totally. And she is a helper of humans, formerly the director of Flip My Funnel People, organizing all those events and the director of marketing at eHire, now a marketing consultant being pursued by the, the fastest growing companies out there who need her on the team. Nikki Nixon, welcome to the show.
1: Yay, I'm excited to be on the show. Thanks so much yeah. for having me.
0: Yeah that, was, yeah, that was an
1: awesome intro.
0: Oh, thank you. If you want, you can, <laughs> you can clip it, no, put it you, on your phone and right? wake <laughs> up every morning to just me. me ladies and gentlemen, necker, necker. That's like I the think Oprah I'll make intro. it my alarm. <laughs> That'll give oh, me a Oh, yeah, make it the alarm. <laughs> I totally. will. Yeah. So, hey, you're here. This is our marketing leadership series. You are a leader. You are yep. crushing it. I have learned from you at those events. that's probably where I met you, I think too. yeah um, and the the flip my funnel events and all the things you be, sort of you're the glue that brings it all together. So we want to start the show off the way we start every show. let me let me pass you this. It's heavy. Okay, I, I got it from the office. We used to have to pretend, but not anymore. <laughs> all right, here you go.
2: Oh Here's Thor's hammer. <laughs> I'll <okay? grab> it.
0: <laughs> so take that. you got it. Okay. Oh, whoa, you're already swinging.
2: Crazy.
0: Danger, danger. So you're swinging this thing around. This is fantastic. You're already ready to go. I'm ready. Take hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception that just drives you crazy. Set the record straight once and for all.
1: So the thing that drives me crazy is that people think ABM is only for large enterprise companies, and that is just complete crap. Um, and I think the reason people think that is because they they're scared honestly mm. I think it's I think it's fear I think it's they are scared to let go of those accounts that really aren't serving them but it's kind of ironic because they waste so much time on those accounts that are not making them any money so, I think it's a complete myth. I think um, unless you are a unless you're a SaaS company that is super transactional and has a really low average contract value, ABM can work for you in some flavor. Because really, all it is is focus. Mm-hmm. You're being forced to focus on the accounts that are most likely to buy from you. And I do think uh, I have a theory, Casey, that this is ABM's finest moment. I think really? we're gonna we're gonna look back on this pandemic and we're gonna realize that ABM really turned a tide. That's my big my big prediction. And the reason I think that is because right now marketers are in a place where their budgets have just been slashed and they're still expected to deliver results. So they have no choice but to focus, which means they have no choice but to adopt ABM. So I think any business can do ABM. It doesn't mean that you have to invest in um, expensive technologies. That helps if you're trying to scale your program, but you don't have to do that. It really is about focusing on the accounts that are most likely to buy from you. So I'm, I'm smashing that myth.
0: It's in. And, and I, what I love about this is you've done it right. So, right. terminus at the time, flip my funnel is like tiny little baby company. It's like cute little, oh so cute, <laughs> you know, like pretty bird. And yep. and you're like okay. And and even flip my funnel as a as an event organizer is small to right. begin with for a short period of time. So you really had to focus. You know, you couldn't just boil the ocean and go after everyone and it, yep. in, I think you're right. And sometimes the, the bigger companies maybe aren't even doing ABM. They just have so much money they think they're doing ABM. And it's like, oh, right. are we really? But you you're right. It matters that much more the smaller you are and the tougher the times, like right now, it matters that much more. So yeah. wait, if you had to boil it down for me, like what what is your what is ABM? What is your approach to it? What would you say? How what is the ABM for everyone? Like how, how do we approach it? I
1: think it's it's really Kind of going back to what I said a minute ago, it's about, it's about focusing. It's about knowing yeah. which accounts are most likely to buy from you. What are your best fit customers? What are the characteristics of those customers? And one thing I would say one caveat to that is it's important to use data, but don't let the data paralyze you from getting started because you can overanalyze that ideal customer profile so much that you never get started. And at some point, you do have to start to take some actions. So um, figuring out what is your ideal customer profile, look at your customer set today, and what are the characteristics of your best customers? And How can you go out and get more of those customers? Or what accounts look like those customers? And you can use something like LinkedIn Sales Navigator to figure that out. Really? Um, you can plug all that information in the Sales Navigator, and it will bring up all of the accounts that look like um, whatever your ideal customer profile is. So so you don't have to buy expensive tools. You can just get a licensed sales navigator and that will give you the accounts. The second step of that is figuring out what are the personas that you need to sell to. So at Terminus, it was marketers. At eHire, it was technologists. So we knew that we either needed to sell to director above in marketing or we needed to sell to director and above um in the it suite so
2: okay
1: um, so once you figure that part out again you can plug out all that into sales navigator and start to look for those roles and who are those people and then you can really start to figure out what are your engagement tactics around those specific sets of personas that you're trying to sell to So I think that's the easiest, most simplistic way. And certainly you can get more advanced from there. But if you're a company just starting out, that's a great way to really figure out how do you start ABM.
0: Yeah. You you brought up a real interesting point. You've had to sell to marketers. Hello. Mm -hmm. Here I am. And then you've also had to sell to technologists. Sometimes in marketing, we think we're technologists too. Um, maybe we are, but um, yeah. selling to IT is just so much different. You know, Marketing to IT is so much different than marketing to marketers. Um, yeah. Could you highlight, because I think some of us have made that transition or, or, or maybe you're forced to do that now. And right. how, how do you change? What changed? And how did so. you figure it out? There's, there's a
1: saying out there um, that the hardest people to market to are marketers and IT people because marketers <laughs> know marketing, so you can't right. be awesome. And IT people are very skeptical. So, um, so I think especially to IT people, one thing that I would recommend is they they're not going to believe you. They're naturally going to right. discredit you because they're naturally skeptical people. So the best way to go about that is to engage their peers um, who happen to be your customers or people that they respect in the industry that also respect your company and are willing to speak positively about you and really go the the route of social proof and word of mouth and use that in things like case studies or getting those people to show up to your event where you're also trying to engage prospects to really help do the selling for you. if you try to go it alone, I think it's just going to be really it's going to be really really hard.
0: Do marketers are, are we more positive? Do we not automatically discount things? Or is I just think, IT needed it that much more?
1: I think marketers really appreciate especially in today's environment. They really appreciate authenticity. They really appreciate when things are genuine and they're not they're not fake. So I think that that's the key to winning over the hearts of marketers is really being authentic, but you also have to be helpful. Like you have to provide value to marketers. There's a lot of marketers out there that are not providing value. And so the ones that win are the ones that are being helpful, especially in this, this day and age for sure.
0: So the marketers want authentic and helpful. So what would you say it wants then in that sort of value?
1: Um they want authentic and helpful, but they don't want it from you. They want it (laughs) they want it from their peers. So you kind of have to engage their peers to help um help do the selling for
0: you. Wow. That's cool. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you're in IT and you're just nodding your head (laughs) like Tweet at me or something and be like, "Yeah, listen to that. Listen to that lady. She knows what she's talking about." Um, yep. That's funny. They want this too. They just don't want to hear it from you. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Oh, marketers." I remember. Um, I remember one of the first meetups I went to at eHire where I was. It was a uh, developer meetup, and they actually called me out. It was kind of embarrassing. They were like, "Oh, here's the marketer." I mean, they were just totally like, totally dissing me. So I learned from that point on, but they don't really like marketers. Um, they're willing to be marketed to, but they wanna be marketed to from their peers. Hmm. So yeah, that's why you see a lot of, um, also a lot of community marketing in IT. Um, they're very big on community because it's very peer driven.
0: You know, it's funny, cause I think sometimes you might stereotype someone in IT as like, loner, isolated, maybe. No. But they, they have their communities too, you know, which I so I think it's that's kind of a myth as well that Yeah. You know.
1: I will say um <laughs> the the um development team that I worked with at Terminus Actually, smashed that myth because they were the most talkative bunch ah. of developers that I have ever worked with in my life. I mean, they were they were like watching YouTube videos, and they were like a bunch of chatty Cathys. It makes Thankfully, you wonder how they
0: ever got it coded, right?
1: I, I don't know. I'm so confused. <laughs> so, but they did somehow.
0: It's like you guys have so much fun, but then you're looking at looking at sales at you know <laughs> right them on the razor scooters scooting around the office at the right and you're like what do you guys do you guys even sell anything but of course they were selling things right maybe everyone works at 2 a.m and then the rest of the time is just playtime. i don't know
1: maybe i don't know but they were very social
0: yeah but this is this is good though i mean it's, it's helpful because i know we kind of take for granted that we know our audience but you may not know your audience and yep. i got a comp sci background and I, it's, i've been I've been long in the marketing world so that, you know, I'm probably a little too authentic and cheerful. Um,
2: yeah, <laughs> I me too. Yeah.
0: I, <laughs> IT is like, really? Really? I know you would say that. So yeah. I want to hear that from someone else. That, right.
2: Uh,
0: yeah. So if they sing my praises, maybe maybe they're skeptical of that. But if you hear three or four people be like, nope, this was a good path to yeah. go and they can they can listen to that. That's, yep, that's cool. Yeah, for sure. So, no, we got off on this tangent, but I'm glad you went down with me on this one because this is like getting to know our buyers, getting to know those people and, and targeting. And there's another yep. point you brought up I want to go back to. I mean, this might get us back on the ABM track too. Yep. The ideal of not getting paralyzed, I've totally done that. Because you're like, I want to figure out who my ideal customer profile is. And what what qualities do they have? and Is it, is it blood type? Is it their... <laughs> Like nationality like I, I don't know. Is, is it, they listen to, or is it just their industry? And then you kind of feel like you're just targeting industries, anyways. And right. I, and so I definitely have felt that paralysis where you're just analysis paralysis. You're trying to think so hard about who your ideal persona is that you haven't gotten past that step. Right. And, and I know you mentioned Sales Navigator is one way of doing that. Is there how your go-to ICP? You know, when you're gonna start a new gig coming up soon, probably and What's the first thing you're gonna to do to try to figure out the ICP?
1: I'm gonna to talk to sales. Talk to sales. <laughs> yep. Okay. Talk to sales, probably decent digging around in their CRM uh, to figure out what really is their, their best fit customer. Sales generally knows, um, they generally have a good idea. So I think, and I would, I would say for anyone doing ABM for the first time, that that is an important point is you shouldn't do it in a silo. You should yeah. absolutely engage your sales team. Like it really has to be done in lockstep. If it's not, then you will fail. And then you'll right. feel like, oh, ABM's not right for me. Well, it is right for you. You just engage your sales team. So
2: right.
1: make sure that you're you're engaging them, that they have a say in the ICP, um, the potential accounts. They may also have some history with those accounts that they can share. So it's good to really do that in, in collaboration.
0: Yeah, for sure. It can't be in a silo, right? Because if they right. had that data, it might save you months of right. finding it. What if yeah. they don't have that data? Or sometimes I run into, you know, optimistic sales teams. You're like, I will call everybody. Don't <laughs> don't even worry. About <laughs> that, that D, that lead is a D? No, no, no. Send it. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll call it, of course, then we have trouble with them calling any lead sometimes.
1: I've worked with a few of those as well. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely, it takes some education. And then, at that point, I think marketing does have to take the lead a little bit to say like, hey, no, we're not going to pass you every lead, but not because we're trying to keep something away from you. Like, right. we, there's no value to us. We're all trying to drive pipeline here. There's no value from us keeping something away from you, but we're, we don't want you to waste your time. Right. And I think when you position it in that perspective of, hey, we don't want you to waste your time, then, you know, it's it's just a lot better received. But in terms of if you don't know your ICP, yeah. then yeah. what I would recommend is really just taking your best guess okay. and then start to go out and test it. And that's that's kind of where I was going with that analysis paralysis is I think you've got to make a decision. And you've got to go out and test it because you're going to get more data and more information. From going out and testing it Mm -hmm. than you would just kind of sitting around the other thing i would say is stakeholder interviews are important but as marketers we have to be mindful of letting letting decisions into the hands of people who are not marketers
2: Mm.
1: so i think that that it seems like i don't know if this is the case in every other function but a lot of times in marketing everybody wants to have an opinion on marketing and sometimes you fall into this, um, you fall into this trap of decision by committee oh, and yeah. then that also paralyzes your efforts. So you can certainly get feedback from people but at some point you got to make a decision, you got to start going to market with it and test it and and get, get the feedback. You're just going to get better faster that way yeah. than you would sitting around because a lot of times what I've found is when you get into that decision by committee, a lot of it is opinions. It's not really it's not really database. It's just right. opinions. And it and sometimes it's by opinion it's opinions by people who don't even really know your target audience all that well. Right. So I think definitely like take the time, get the input, but then make a decision and go out and test it.
0: I think that's that's huge, right? Yeah. And that's huge because I've bumped into those situations where yeah, it's like just hearsay I've, i remember asking sometimes ask sales and um the sales manager gave this sort of like high big picture you know macro view it was so so generic and then the sales team was actually like very specific and it was great and i've other other times where it's the opposite and then one time neither group knew they were all like oh we'll call everyone everyone. And then it was this, this SDR guy who was like, Oh yeah, it's blah, blah, blah. Like here's the three critical factors. And everyone was blown away. It's like, who invited this guy? I'm glad he's here. <laughs> right. um, you know, so he, he yeah. actually knew. Yeah, he yep. did. did. Yeah. Cool. Um, wow. Well, so yeah, caution, like talk to people, get your information, but then go test. I love that you said, yeah, testing will give you the, give you more info than you can ever come up with in your analysis mode. So right. Go, go get at it. That's what we do, right? In marketing, we're not just like we have we have one campaign in our lifetime and then (laughs) that's it. That's it. You know, X marks the spot, folks. You're game over. No, we have multiple campaigns.
1: Test and optimize and learn. Yep.
0: For sure. Right. And avoid the committee decision, especially if Yeah. Oh, that's like the death sentence. Yeah, right. Decision by committee. (laughs) They've got their tuna fish sandwich and no data. (laughs) And they're like, oh, yeah, chomp, chomp, chomp. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. you should go after uh, IT project managers. Chomp, chomp, chomp. And you're like, right. cool, good good info. We'll check that out. Right.
1: (laughs) Now we're going to go sell the developers.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. (laughs) Catch you later. Enjoy that sandwich. Don't heat it up. Don't heat it up. Um, (laughs) So that makes a lot of sense. Um, We get our ICP nailed. What are some of the first tests you do do? Because you were mentioning (laughs) do-do. What are some of the first things you you would start executing once you've got some general idea? Do you want to go in that direction?
1: So um, one good way to test pretty easily is to do some account-based advertising. So um, And that will allow you to see where the engagement is. So um, there was an account at eHire that we we're going after and we thought that we should go after the it department and what we found through through testing and account-based advertising is actually it was the product management department that Mm. had the most the most interest and so and really we gauged that from uh, people who were clicking on our ads and we could see those insights from like the linkedin advertising platform to be able to see like, okay, it's project management in this specific account. And so we were like, Oh, well we weren't even looking over there. So let's go over here and look. And what's cool about that is um, we had an account manager, several account managers had tried to get into this particular account and they had failed. They had failed like not a single meeting inside of this account. And we had a new account manager working on it. And so I went over to him and I was like, Hey, I really think like, here's the data. I showed him the data. And I was like, you know, we've been running these ads on this account and here's the data. And I really think you should try to go after the product management department. Um, And he was like, oh, okay. And he went after the product management department. I helped him with the messaging and he was able to get several meetings, like where nobody else had been able to get meetings before. So that's a great way to test. And it also helps you to figure out, like, if you, if you don't have any engagement from certain accounts, then you can prioritize the ones that do have engagement. So it helps you to focus a little bit further. One thing I would say is that LinkedIn ads are pretty expensive. Yeah. So I would run your test for a short period of time, maybe a couple of weeks um, and just get enough data that you can start getting um you can start getting an idea of where you should focus and then you can start putting your advertising dollars towards those specific accounts. So, but you don't need an expensive platform to do account-based advertising. You can just do it on LinkedIn. Or if you want to invest a little bit, you could do something like a Roleworks, that sort of thing.
0: Okay. This is, this is cool because, you know, I was kind of, um, I don't know not salty is the word but yeah I've done LinkedIn advertising in the past more of the traditional sense the Mm -hmm. non-ABM kind and it might be like kind of a nice bump at the beginning and then it kind of just trails off and so I'd kind of never really thought of using it from the account sense but then as you're describing it where you'd say oh you know, people in whose titles are similar to product management are responding. Right. Like, oh yeah, that's, that's one way you can find out who's even just interested in your message. Right. You know, And in general sense, and I could totally see, you know, us trying a test with that and, and putting out, you know, particular phrase and you know, who, who responds to this? Is it the marketing department? Is it sales? Is it responding? Is it the CEO? All the different groups would kind of tell you who's interested in what.
1: Oh, what I was going to say is one thing I would recommend is even if you're not running LinkedIn advertising, a lot of people don't know this, but you can put the LinkedIn advertising pixel on your site and it will give you all sorts of data about the companies and the titles and um, like the company size and all those things. You do have to have a decent amount of web traffic because it has to be able to anonymize it. but. That's a great way. If you see that there are certain accounts that are peaking on there or if there are certain titles that are peaking on there, I would absolutely start advertising to those accounts.
0: Oh my gosh. I got to so, do it tomorrow. I can't believe we definitely haven't. I don't think we've done that. We've got to yeah, do it. That awesome. I,
1: I would, I would totally recommend that to, to anyone, even if you're not currently running LinkedIn ads, because it will still collect data on your site and report it back to you based Dang. off the data that they have. It's like, it's basically like a free visitor ID
0: that's cool yeah and and also would help you to what we're talking about here better identify the types of people coming to your site
1: right the types of people who are most likely interested in what you're what you're trying to sell
0: right wow power tip Boom, left and right See, the more Zoom freezes, the more power tips come out. This is fantastic.
1: I know. It gives me like 30 seconds to think. <laughs> <laughs> with, come up with
0: bright ideas. Right? It's like pull out your Ethernet cord. Think, think, think. Okay, great idea. i plug it back in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Crazy. Okay, sweet. So, I mean, this is, I love chatting you about this because this really is that everyday ABM where yeah. we're, we're getting some just some basic level targeting. We're trying it out. We're testing using some pixels, just going after it. Are, you know, what kind of results are you looking for? I mean, you've shared some, some positive examples. Is there any point in time, you know, cause I love how this is just very straightforward. When do you change up? When do you, you know, what kind of results you look for? What kind of, are there any markers you're kind of like paying attention for? Um, when do you know you're done the the test and where do you go from there?
1: Um, well, I think you've never done testing. Mm. We'll say that. I think testing is a, a continuous process, but what I will say is a lot of it depends on your sales cycle. So at eHire, we had a very, very, very long sales cycle. Um, and so for me to put was it revenue, over yeah, it was over a year.
2: Yeah. I
0: feel uh, bad for people over a year because-
1: And you, it was complex. Yeah.
0: And you don't, you, you won't know if you're, successful necessarily for a while (laughs) yeah
1: so um so to put revenue against those campaigns would not have been a good idea considering that it takes took us 18 months from the time we had a first meeting in an account to the time we recognized revenue um so things that we looked at we looked at early engagement so if you're looking at campaigns like are we getting clicks from those target accounts i mean that's an early one and even in emails like what's what's the open rate of the emails that you're sending and i know traditionally those are vanity metrics and i'm not a huge fan of vanity metrics but what you're looking for in those early stages is engagement you're looking for interest which Mm -hmm. accounts are showing interest so those things do are leading indicators of interest like are is this account opening my email are they clicking through on the content are they visiting my website um i think those things and then when you get further down down the pipeline you're having meetings with this account then you can start looking at things like um meetings booked i think is a great one especially if you're selling an enterprise like you're not going to get a sale after the first meeting, like it just doesn't work like that, so you yeah. know how many meetings are you are you booking? how many what is the depth and breadth of your relationships? If you only have one relationship inside an enterprise account you're not going to be able to sell to them because the average buying committee is what like six to twelve people. I feel like it goes up every day, but right. you need to have you need to have strong relationships deep inside of that organization so you can look at things in mid funnel of like, how many meetings are you booking with this account? Yeah. Um, and then as that as that progresses, then you can start to look at, okay, we've had these meetings, we can put a pipeline number on that. How fast are we accelerating that pipeline to close? So I think the further down the funnel you go, the more you can start looking at, uh, at dollars versus actual engagement. But I think one of the things that I learned early on in Flip My Funnel was actually from John Miller, where he talked about time as a measurement, and he was basically saying that the more time someone spends with you, the more likely they are to buy from you, and so it's how do you, how do you get them to spend more time with you, and that could be in a digital sense, it could be, obviously face-to-face time is super valuable, but it could also be, you know, how long did they spend on your webinar? The other interesting thing um, I heard, Rayan Rice, um, from she works at Amazon now. She used to be at Juniper. But one of the things that she said at one of our conferences was, you have to measure like the vote for us score, like how likely is that account to vote for us? And she said, you, as an ABMer, you're working every day to increase the likelihood of that vote, so that when you get down to the final part of that sales process then you've already built up this strong case for why they they should vote for you so I think there's there's a couple ways to gauge that just depending on where you are in the funnel and depending on how long your sales cycle is will depend on how long you stay in each of those those stages
2: right
0: yeah time time measurement the longer you spend with someone um, the more you probably like him after that. That's why I scheduled I like a podcast. <laughs> this podcast is going to be nine hours just so that by the end of it, you're like, this guy's pretty cool. I like him. He's getting, he's, he's got spent my phone. nine hours with him, but <laughs> nine hours in a canoe. You know, <laughs> we had a fishing rod and a mirror to signal planes and that's it. And totally uh, he survived. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good point though. John, John is a smart guy, super clever from the Marketo days and, yeah engage you and everything um yeah time you know that's a good point what do you measure when you can't measure and and time is a great example of that and then the outcome of having them vote for us i think that's a simple way of looking at it but in a in a very understandable way look it's a committee you know and it's almost like they all i don't say they have they all vetoes but they're all kind of like involved (laughs) yeah 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 like it we we cannot go with this vendor you know, okay, well, I guess you got to pick a different one or, you know, who are we going with everybody? And some people have veto and some people are just voting, but getting your, you know, getting them to vote for you by the end of it makes total sense. Vote for us like a big campaign. (laughs) Right, Exactly. Wow. Very cool. Um, well, question for you. How does, how does tech fit into this? Um, I know you've mentioned a lot of some simple ways we can just approach things. Yeah. Um, things like marketing automation is marketing automation dead. Do we, can we still use it? Do we use it for ABM? What, what do you think?
1: I think um, you can definitely use marketing automation for ABM. Um, the, the challenge with, um, with marketing automation is that it's not really set up to do ABM. Mm. So you More. kind of have to, you kind of have to set it up that way. And I know that they're moving in that direction. I know but a lot of the marketing automation vendors are certainly moving in that direction, but I don't think that they're full on ABM marketing automation at this point. But what you could do is you could, um, you could set up nurture campaigns by uh, industry, or you could set them up by persona. So like, for example, at Foot My Funnel, we had both sales and marketing personas. And so if you're selling to multiple personas, and a lot of companies are, I mean, we simplify it by saying like, oh, we just sell to marketers or we just sell to IT. Mm-hmm. But like at eHire, for example, we had both IT and HR. So mm-hmm. we had two, two separate personas that were totally different, had totally different interests. Um, so you could certainly set up nurture campaigns by persona. You could also set them up by industry. So if, if, X company matches Y industry, they go into this, this nurture track. So I think you can customize it to work for you. It just doesn't quite come out of the box like that.
0: Yeah. Some of the track. Yeah. 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 You mentioned the, even at flip, you know, the sales and the marketing personas, amen. They're different different groups and we're a part of the same team but yeah yep. have different personalities did you go into like subgroupings or like different kinds of marketing personas or did you just draw the line at like their marketers
1: um we didn't go into sub personas there um because it, I think it would have been too granular mm-hmm. for us to do that but certainly I mean marketing and sales speak totally different languages. So the messaging had to be different. And that was was actually something that we learned in the early days. We tried to go at salespeople with um, marketing messaging and they just totally, (laughs) they totally dismissed us. (laughs) What what did you change?
0: How did you get their attention?
1: Um, We just started speaking the language of sales. We started talking about things that sales cared about. It couldn't be a marketing message with a little bit of sales peppered in. Like It had to be a true sales message. The other thing that we did um, that really helped was we also started engaging sales influencers to the point where we had full-on sales tracks at our our events that were specifically designed for sales. It wasn't just marketing messaging with a little bit of sales peppered in. So that helped too. That gave us a little bit of credibility. Um, And we also did an event with Sales Hacker, So that also gave us credibility as well. But I think I think it was a little harder for us to win over sales Mm -hmm. than it was marketing. I think marketing got what we were doing, but I think sales, it took a little bit longer um, for them to kind of come on board to the flip my funnel movement. They gotta
0: put the play-doh down, right? You know, (laughs) gotta uh, put the coffee down. Coffee's for closers, guys. Let's go.
1: Exactly. So I mean they really did. What was interesting about sales was that we really had to convince them of why it was worth their while to get off the phones for a day
0: and, Mm
1: -hmm. and come to come to our event because their time was super, super valuable. We talk about time um, in in terms of engagement, but they were super protective of their time. And so they, they made us work for it. If we had a salesperson show up, (laughs) they didn't, they definitely did not come easily. We had to, we had to win them over.
0: That's a good point. Like they value okay. that. Yep. Tremendously. They do. What and I wonder what is mar- what did marketing value? Sales values time. What do you think marketing values?
1: Um marketing valued I think they valued education.
0: Mm. They valued the
1: engagement. Yeah. Uh marketers were are really in general I think they still are, but um, especially at that time, they were really hungry for knowledge. Yep. especially as this new AVM movement was coming out. They wanted to know what it was and how to best implement it. And there was so much unknown. There's still a lot of unknown today, but yeah. especially at that time, there was so much unknown. So I think they were really hungry for knowledge because they wanted to know how to do yeah. AVM.
0: Yeah. Marketers like to learn. Yep. I like that. What do you think IT is hungry for?
1: Um. Coffee I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, you know IT people really do it's kind of counterintuitive, but they really do value community. They really like connecting with fellow IT people and being able to really just talk shop, talk about products or projects that they're working on, um, that sort of thing. but yeah mostly mostly community is a big is a big deal. For it people.
0: That's interesting. What yep. was HR? What was HR interested in? What do you think they they're hungry for?
1: Um, they were hungry for really being able to get the best people on board quickly. I think that was a big thing for them. um They were, if were also to, If I were to
0: hold you to one word like this game we've been playing, you didn't even realize
1: <laughs> one word. <laughs> what yeah. are they hungry for? Um, people. <laughs> That's what they're hungry for. People. Yeah. They got, they got to
0: fill their roles. I, I love this. And thanks for playing along with me on it, but it, it's very interesting. It, I can tell that you've really been learning about these different groups and, and what they value bubbles up sales with time. Yeah. No, yeah. no brainer. I remember being in sales and be like, if you spend too much time on a no that right. you're bad, you just wasted time. You can't get back. Time is money. Time is money. Um, yep. Whereas in marketing, we are kind of hungry for learning. We're always trying to learn different things, webinars and that kind of thing. Whereas to your point, you get a marketer to show up, oh, I might learn something here. Yeah, I'll show up. Let's see what happens. (laughs) I damn well better learn something when I show up.
2: (laughs) You
1: better make this worth my time I'm going to get off the phones. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
0: And then IT, you know, and need to learn more about it. But the idea of, you know, maybe in your day to day, you're not in much of a, maybe you're more of a silo you want Wait. to learn what are some of the, what are some of the hacks that are happening? What are some of the new techs that are happening? What's everybody
1: to... else doing? Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
0: And seeing those people that you've been editing code with, you know, <laughs> yeah. are. Yep. GitHub. Oh, you're my best friend on GitHub, but we've never met. <laughs>
1: I, <laughs> I know.
0: Let's get some beer together. Yeah. Yep. Um, very cool. Very cool. What's exciting you about the future? What, anything coming around the bend that maybe is good or is bad you want to watch out for?
1: Um, I think what's exciting about the future is personalization. I think, yeah. I think, I actually think B2C is driving this. I think us as consumers, we're getting hyper-personalized communications and experiences from companies. And now we're starting to expect that from businesses as well. Yeah. So um so definitely personalization the other interesting thing I think this current um pandemic situation has brought about is also is also purpose. I think companies mm-hmm. that operate with a purpose and a purpose broader than just hey we want your money. Right. Um I think are going to be are going to be the winners. So the the companies that care the most about their customers and the ones that operate with a purpose Um, like I saw Zappos the other day. So Zappos has always been known for great customer service. I mean, that's just kind of their, their hallmark. And what they've actually done that I think is kind of cool, because they know that right now is a really stressful time for people. They've actually opened up their customer service line. You can call them and talk about whatever you want. They're like your therapist. I haven't, for the record, I have not actually done this, but I saw them advertise it the other day and I thought, that is so cool. Um, They were actually one of the first companies, if I remember right, that did not hold their their, um, customer service reps accountable for their call time. I mean, you could, a Zappos rep could have a three or four hour call. And it was like, <laughs> it was no big deal. And in most, right. in most customer service situations, you know, they're trying to get you off the phone as, as fast as possible. Yeah. So I think, um, I think that's a great example of a, a company that has really said, you know what, we're going to put our customers first and people are going to buy from Zappos. If I, I mean, Casey, imagine you're a rep from Zappos and you talk to me for four hours. Yeah goes back to the time thing right like, I'm when like I girl, for you? Now? let's do it
0: let's, do, let's go shopping what do you want and
1: even if i'm not ready now i'm gonna remember yeah. that you spent four hours on the phone with me like yeah talking about you know cats and dogs and whatever my worries were for
0: the day so. yeah it's that yeah. it's a it's like a feeling more than even the logic
1: right so yeah i mean i think it's it's personalization. It's, it's experience, I think is another word that goes along with that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, customers are just demanding a more personalized, a more human experience, I think is maybe another way to put it too.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, they don't want to just be treated like a number. Right. So yeah, I think that's, that's, what's exciting me. And I think it will, I think this pandemic will fundamentally change the way that companies operate. So it'll be interesting to see what things look like on the other side of this. I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's interesting too. So I think the other cool thing is I'm also interested to see not so much marketing related, but work related. I'm interested to see how many companies actually go back into their offices and (laughs) how many, and how many stay remote. Like now that they have seen that they're able to operate for an extended period of time. Um, So it'll be interesting to see the impact of that as well.
0: Yeah, I was having that thought earlier today. Uh, um, not that exact one, but on the yeah. same line, the idea of, you know, what changes I was trying to make a plan for, say, Q three or you know the first hundred days. Um right. We talked about it's important to plan for what happens when we get out of jail here. But um, but right. what does change? You know yeah. um, and we've gotten so good at adapting to this. I mean, I will appreciate doing things, but you know, we've we've had some great virtual meetings now. We've had some normally we might've flown somewhere we kind of accomplished that without flying somewhere. So. Right. Hmm. Doesn't have to change back. What do we keep and what do we, what do we go back with that? You know, to your right. perfect point around the, the buildings, Um, you know, the Chesh, we've always been remote. Right. Um. So no big deal. Um, no, you know, no building to pay for But I have a friend who has a company in downtown Boston and you know, we're talking like, 150k a year or more to just have that space and yep. and wow like that's <laughs> and perfect, now it's yeah, I haven't had to spend <laughs> and we can put that back in our people or going on trips yep. together and stuff and and it's like do you really need that space sometimes you do but it definitely asks the question again
1: yeah for sure so yeah it'll be interesting to see how we come out the other side of this both from a a work perspective and from a, a marketing perspective.
0: Yeah, the human side. See what yep. happens to the humans. Um, and uh, maybe, you know, I'm looking forward to Zoom just having a little more bandwidth, you know? <laughs> maybe a little humble pie. Like, okay, take their users back down to 150 so that I can actually <laughs> right. get my, my podcast call completed without <laughs> drops. Um, <laughs> well, Nikki, who are you? Like, can you, can you take us back? I'd love to figure out what experiences you've had and what was it like being you growing up to. Understand how you've accumulated all this knowledge. You take us back, like little Mickey days. Did you always <laughs> know you were going to be like a a marketing queen and crushing things? Um, no, I don't think from a kid
1: I knew that I was going to be a marketer. I went through a lot of variations of what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah. I, um, as most kids do, at one point I wanted to be a veterinarian. At one point I wanted to be um, to be a nurse. I wanted to be um, a teacher, you know, yeah. it's interesting though, like now as I'm thinking about that, I think they all had a central theme of helping people.
0: I was in, just going to say in that. So, in some yeah. way, and I
1: actually, yeah, I've never realized that until I just verbalized that, so thank you.
0: you need to sound like <laughs> <discovery>. I know, <laughs> Discovered.
1: Um So, I, I guess I always knew that I wanted to help people, and yeah. I think I've always tried to approach marketing from that perspective of how can I be helpful, um, I think the point when I realized that I wanted to be a marketer, I was actually in the restaurant business. So this was around, um, I want to say 2006 was probably the time. Okay. So, um, so I kind of did life backwards. I went to work first and then I went to
2: college.
0: Okay, I I thought you were gonna jump over school for a second. I was like, I'll allow it this time, people. But okay, (laughs) Um, like straight high school right into workforce, or how did that work?
1: um, I went to community college a little bit, but I just like I wasn't ready, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And
2: who is right?
1: (laughs) My parents were like, "We're tired of wasting money when you don't know what you want to do." So, um, so I moved to Atlanta in 2005. I grew up in Virginia, um, near Virginia, part of Virginia. Virginia um i actually grew up in smithfield it's the ham capital of the world smithfield? Uh, that's the about what the, capital the ham capital of the ham. world okay uh, if you ever heard if you ever had a smithfield ham it's made in smithfield virginia so i'm <laughs> from
0: virginia thing. too so it's kind of funny i don't know where smithfield
1: oh okay um are you googling it
0: <laughs> yeah i'm googling <laughs> yeah. that you know it i don't have a producer to like pull it up on the screen for me like,
1: yeah it's about hmm. uh it's about 45 minutes away from virginia beach
0: so oh, that's I'm pretty, cool. That's where I, pretty that's where I'm close
1: I'm from. to the coast. Oh, you're from Virginia Beach?
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Oh, okay. Cool. So um,
0: you got Virginia style.
1: <laughs> I definitely spent a lot of time on the water when I was a kid, um, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I moved to Atlanta in 2005 and I went to work in the restaurant business and I didn't really know where that was going to lead. I was actually, <laughs> I knew I wanted to go to college, um, once I got to Atlanta, but, you know, you have to establish the whole residency thing. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go work in this restaurant for a year and wait some tables and earn some cash and just right? establish my residency and yeah. then, you know, figure it out. So um, I actually ended up staying there a lot longer, <laughs> I ended up staying there like seven years. So it was a lot longer than I wanted to, or I thought that I would stay, um, stay in the restaurant business. But um, at some point...
0: Were you doing tables the whole time? Were you just crushing out your table game? And...
1: Um, so I started as a server, and then I became a corporate trainer. So I traveled around, and I opened up restaurants. Um, and was actually, like, helping the restaurants train oh, their, cool. their front-of-house staff. So that was super cool. Like, early 20s, I'm, like, getting to travel around. and. yeah you know, and everybody was in their early twenties that did that. So it was, it was cool. I'm still friends with a lot of those people today, which was fun. Um, but then 2008 happened. And so what happened in 2008 is they, um, stopped opening so many restaurants. Mm-hmm. So they were opening, they went from opening a hundred plus restaurants a year to not opening any. So I went back home to my home restaurant and you know, it was like, okay, what do I want to do? Right. Like, what, like what's, what's next? Like this season is clearly over. What's next? <laughs> yeah. um, and so one of my, um, so the restaurant I worked for, they were starting to invest in local marketing. And so they had a local marketing person assigned in each restaurant that was responsible for like engaging like schools and churches to give back nights where they would come in and you give back like a certain, certain percentage
2: yeah
1: and what was cool about that was it actually i think it's what gave me a taste of revenue marketing and what excited really? me about revenue marketing because i could see like if i brought this church group in or this school in that those result like that resulted in x amount of revenue right and, I, and my restaurant actually led the region uh, was always in like the top five for like most local marketing dollars driven. And
0: you so, could see because they use like a coupon to say, or, or like a right. cook with this group, right. You get a discount or they donate the money. And-
1: yep. So yeah. And I mean, you got to do some good for the community and also got to drive business at the same time. So, um, so there came a point probably a couple of years later. So I did go into management, mm-hmm. um, and there came a point where I was just like, I like this marketing thing, but I don't want to be in the restaurant business the rest of my life. Um, and so I was like, okay, you know, what, what do I do with this? And so, um, so I started going to school online. I went to school for two years online and then eventually I was just done with the restaurant business. (laughs) I was like, it's, it's time to, time to move on. So, um, so I actually grind
0: right just like hard uh, you gotta Oh uh, yeah I mean negative. I was
1: I was working 60, 60 plus hours a week Jeez. and I was going to school full-time online so so that was tough and then from there um so so the I think this is around 2010 maybe so the economy was still we were still in a recession huh. was, things were still continuing to decline I actually almost moved back to Virginia at that time and I remember my dad told me he's like, I know you really want to move back. He's like, but I don't think it's a good time for you to come home. And I'm like, what? Like, you don't want me to come home? <laughs> like, right. What are you talking about? And what he said made so much sense. Um, because that part of Virginia, as you probably know, is very heavily military. Yeah. And the military was also downsizing. And so he's uh-huh. like, if you come home, you're going to c- be competing with all of these, um, all of these veterans for jobs. Right. And he's like, there's not even really that many jobs here. He's like, you're better off just staying there and I said okay so I was like I'll cut a deal with you I said I'm gonna apply to Georgia State I'm gonna apply to Hampton University and whichever one I get into <laughs> I'm just gonna assume that that's where I'm meant to go
0: the fate so, will decide where I go the
1: fate will decide and what's funny is I actually got accepted at Georgia State before I was able to complete the application to Hampton University so mm-hmm. I so then I had to call my dad up and be like oh you were right <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I guess I'm staying here. So, um, so I originally majored, uh, in marketing. Yeah. And then, um, before I started, I went to my first, um, I went to my first like advisement session and the lady asked me if I had ever considered a double major. And I was like, mm-hmm. or like a minor or something like that. And I said, no, I said, but you know, like tell me what my options are. And she, she started telling me about the computer information systems, major. And I quickly realized at the time that there were so many marketers in Atlanta that I had to do something to mm. set myself apart. And so I went back with the next day and I was like, yeah, sign me up for that. <laughs> so right. I want to, I want to do both. So, and looking back, it was such a great decision because not only did it, um, did it set me apart, but it also taught me to be analytical as a marketer. And I think that that's such a valuable skill um, to be able to be analytical and to be creative with figuring out solutions to things. So that's kind of kind of how I got here. And then I got plugged into the Atlanta startup scene. I met Kyle Porter. Um, I went to, then I went to work at Sales Loft. And then I met Eric Spett and Sangram and, yeah. They were like they were like down the hall building terminus so then I right. I went to I went to terminus and then uh, later went over to e hire so yeah that's that's kind of how I got here Huh
0: What what a, a crazy twist but an interesting background to yep. email in the restaurant industry you literally know if you brought in money or not and that group right. will or won't get money from that and it's like very cut and dry and it's funny how we get more complicated it gets fuzzier yeah all these other lead sources but at least you started in a way where it was all about showing results
1: right and that's what i've always been passionate about i've always wanted to drive results i was actually talking in one of my interviews yesterday about about the marketing high and, the, and thankfully the lady laughed and didn't think i was crazy <laughs> but i was like you know there's just a high that you get as a marketer from, you know, doing something that produces results and that drives revenue for yeah. the company and helps the company grow. And so that's, that's the exciting part of marketing for me.
0: Right. So, right. and I can see that because even when you had said veterinarian, nurse, eventually marketer, you know, <laughs> right. just trying to help people the whole time. Yeah. And that makes you a better marketer too, because you're not trying to trick people into clicking. You're really just trying to help them.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So, if you were to look back on, you know, your marketing career, I, hypothetical, I may or may not have a time machine in Nashua, New Hampshire. Okay. We use it now because of coronavirus, you know, we got to, you know, cover it with tarps and everything, but, um, you know, this whole thing clears. You come up to Nashua and you use the time machine. You get to go back in time to um, visit yourself at the beginning, we say, of your marketing career, but it could be uh-huh. any time. So, it could be while you're still in Virginia doing the restaurant gig? Um, it could be at the very beginning of your restaurant gig. Anytime around there, you get to go visit yourself. Yeah. What would you tell yourself? What would you what would you tell yourself to do more of something, less of something? Don't do this, do this. Anything you would advise yourself?
1: Um, You know, I think I would tell myself to believe in myself more. Yeah. I think it's probably what I would – I would do I think early on in my career I placed my I don't want to say my identity but um, I placed my belief in the hands of others more so than myself I guess is the best way to say that mm-hmm. so and it turns out I really I really did know a lot I didn't know what I was talking about mm-hmm. um, and I and I gained more confidence of that the further that I went on but like just coming out of school. I I let others really validate that for me versus right. me me validating it for myself. So I think I would definitely I would definitely do that differently, and I would definitely tell myself, you know,
0: what would you do differently? Because it sounds like for sure the advice.
1: I think I would I think I would just have more more confidence and more conviction mm-hmm. yeah. in what I and what I was doing. I think for sure. So I think so I would be cool. willing to bet that anyone coming out of college probably probably does struggle with that because you, you don't think, you know, a ton and you're like, oh, these people have been in business for a long time. But yeah. oftentimes it's the person with the least experience that has the most innovative, freshest
2: <laughs> yeah. ide-
1: ideas, you know, and yeah. I mean, I've, I've learned so much from interns, you know, that I've yeah. had the opportunity to work with it's just because they don't, they're not clouded by years and years of experience so yeah i think definitely definitely that i think it would just be a belief Mm -hmm. or more than a necessarily an action per se Mm. um the other thing i would do as well is i would also something i did earlier in my career that it took me a while to get out of was i actually i tie a lot of my identity to my career Mm. and so and that that's fine when things are going great. But when things start to go sideways, I think it can be a really dangerous thing. And I think a lot of people don't realize it until it's too late. Um, so certainly, you know, I love being a marketer, but it's not my, let's say it's my identity, you know? Yeah. So, and what I realized, um, I actually did kind of a morbid exercise one day <laughs> to realize
2: this. Yeah, what is it?
1: I, I wrote my own eulogy. Okay. So I wrote my own eulogy from the perspective of, like, three different people. And what I realized is that, you know, when when my days are done and everybody's standing around and they're remembering me, nobody's going to talk about how great of a marketer I was. (laughs) They're going to talk about how great of a human I was. And that was, like, it was so eye-opening to me because it helped me really just redefine success. And it wasn't about it wasn't about the campaigns. It wasn't about the hours that I put into my job. It was really about you know what kind of human am I going to be, and like how do how do I want to be remembered from that perspective? So, yeah, I would say that that's the thing that I wish I probably would have done earlier. I think it would have would have kind of changed the game for me.
0: That's cool. I, where'd so, you get that exercise from? Because that that makes a lot of.
1: Um. Well, I actually heard it in church. Oh, cool. uh, but it came from um oh what is it I think it's Stephen Covey's The 7 I, Habits, I Habits book Covey I, I think that's actually where where it came from but I heard about it it was like a church service Yeah
0: who are the three people or who are the different three types of people just in general or is like one your your mom and one's your friend and
1: It was um it was a person I was dating at the time a friend and I forget who the other person was I think there might have been a couple of friends that I did it from a perspective of but I mean you could do any, any three people that mm-hmm. you feel like are closest to you that know you well mm-hmm. and and what I actually did um, that really helped was I went back and I read it and I underlined like the common themes mm-hmm. that I saw and so that really that really just helped me a time
0: yeah and and I could see you know I could see some. Results may vary, but it it like just highlights. And what if it does? Did say like marketing campaigns? Is that what you want it to say? You know,
1: exactly.
0: You know, I think want to
1: be remembered for that campaign.
0: Yeah, like who? We don't even talk about them now, anyways. Like the Mad Men people. All right. Um, there's there's a probably um, uh, like there's maybe a few marketers that maybe written some books. Right you'd be like, oh, yeah, those are great books, though. They're a great writer, but, like, right. that guy was a great marketer, you know. like <laughs> right. you A lot of people the buying Ajax, you know. Like, maybe there's something else, you know, you're living for. Maybe you're trying to help people. You have right. family, you have friends, you care for people, you've gone on trips or
1: right. you
0: know, that, that actually matters. And whatever matters to you, but, like, it's a great way of saying, hmm, they would say this, yep. Is that what I want them to say? Is that, is that the most important thing here? That's
1: such a great point. Like if someone stands up, it's almost comical to me now. Yeah. If someone stands up at my funeral, they're like, man, she just, she just screwed that company so much. And she drove so much revenue. Yeah, and I will just feel like I missed the mark
2: <laughs> if that, really? if that's the right?
1: case, you know. Yeah. So, and and I don't say that to diminish the importance of right. being a great marketer. Like certainly, I want to be a great marketer, and I love what I do. But yeah. I realize that there, there's a balance, and there's there's more to life, and there's more to me than just driving revenue for this this campaign. So, right. I think it's important to to recognize that, and I think. I've seen an increase of articles um, about this recently, and I think that you know people are really starting to feel that because there's been a lot of layoffs right now and so a lot of people who had their identities tied up in their jobs now don't really know who they are because they no longer have that as a part of their as a part of their persona so I think it's it's super important and it's super timely and it's something that like I said I wish that I would have done earlier so
0: right huh yeah I mean it's what's important to you right so those things those things all matter yep um speaking of important I mean I know you do some things outside of work and um I mean you mentioned it earlier the dog training thing
1: oh yeah so I have um I have a therapy dog yeah. Uh, she is, started out as a
0: therapy dog though, right? Started out no, just, oh.
1: she didn't. Um, she's <laughs> actually, she's sleeping right beside me. She's like fast asleep. She's on an extended sabbatical right now. <laughs> um, but no, she didn't start out as a therapy dog. She started out as a rescue and I didn't get her with the intention of her being a therapy dog. Um, so she was, uh, she was seven years old she was in a rescue. She was there for probably about two months. She was actually found on a construction site, just wandering around, and they um, they brought her in. So she's also, I have to mention, she's a black dog, and the reason I say that is because black dogs are often overlooked in shelters, and sometimes, like, I look at her, and I'm like, how were you, like, not snatched up immediately, you know, but I think that, that was that was part of it, was I think she just kind of blended in, and got overlooked, which I'm somewhat thankful for, because then she ended up with me, which was cool, um, right. so her, her name is Faith, um, and so I had her for probably about a year, and people started to say to me, they were like, oh, you know, she's so great with people, you should really consider training her as therapy dog, and I was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever, um, and then I saw, um, I saw her engage with my grandmother, So my Mm. grand, my grandmother, um, is elderly. She has dementia. Um, she's somewhat verbal, but not, she can't put all the words together. And, um, so I realized that, I realized that she was able to engage with the dog and she would just light up whenever I brought the dog over. And I realized one day, and I remember saying to my dad, I was like, I think I figured out like the dynamic here. I said, she lights up with this dog because neither of them have to speak. She doesn't have to find the word. She can just engage with this dog through touch and through facial oh. expressions. And so it's, it's freeing to her to be able to do that. So. Um, So, yeah, I, um, so it was that experience and then we had another experience, um, where we actually walked around one of the parks in downtown Atlanta and it was in the middle of the winter and we were, um, handing out blankets to homeless people Hmm. and I saw how how she actually, like, those homeless people probably would not have given me the time of day if she wasn't there, but the fact that she was there really made them comfortable, and I was able to engage in a conversation with them, so after that, I was kind of like, okay, she really does have the makings of a therapy dog, Um, so enrolled her in training, and it's it's really comical looking back now because the first training session Casey was just a gong show I mean I took her in I was like oh she's ready she's gonna be a therapy dog and she barked the whole time
0: Ah, like were there other dogs there so
1: oh yeah it was like a group training session and (laughs) she was like yeah I mean she barked the whole time it was so embarrassing like I was like oh my gosh I don't know you know if this is for us and thankfully um the trainer that we worked with was just like she was just the sweetest lady and Mm -hmm. she could tell that it was stressful for both of us and she was like she came over and she was so nice and she's like look she was like she's never been in this type of environment before (laughs) she's like so you have to remember that you know that this is this is a totally new experience for her she's like I do think she has the makings of a therapy dog she's like but she's like I think she needs more time so we actually got a little demotion that day we got we had to go back to the basic obedience class the the therapy dog class so we spent some time there um so it took us about a year and it was a pretty hard journey because she had never really had any formal training before Mm. and she was older she kind of has a she has a strong willed personality so i mean really the deck of cards was just stacked against her um, but we really, I mean, we just kept at it. We just kept going and I would work with her at home. We'd go to Home Depot and practice stuff and
0: of um, what, what things would you practice at Home Depot? Just not doing anything?
1: Well, no, we would do different skills, different obedient skills, like sit, stay. Um, people would come up to her and like pet her and she would engage with people and stuff like that. So we would do a variety of things. Whatever it was that we were working on and training at that time, mm. I would I would do it at Home Depot as well because dogs, something I learned is that dogs are not environment dependent. So just because they learn one thing in their house doesn't mean that they'll repeat it in another location. You almost have to reteach it to them really in another location until they've been taught it in so many places that they then know that that's what they're supposed to do.
0: Oh, so At home, but not at the dog park.
1: Right, right. Exactly. No. So, or, um,
0: yeah. Yeah!
1: Wow! Yeah, so so it was a long journey. Um, it was a hard journey. It's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I thought we were going go to go this little six week class, and you know she would be good. But um, but yeah, she finally passed the test. Um, so that was awesome. Um, and so right about the time we did one therapy visit to a um, special education classroom um, here in Georgia, and that was awesome. And then they shut down the schools after that, so we haven't been able to go out. Um, yeah. We're looking forward to, we're looking forward to going out and serving again. Um, hopefully, we'd love to go to like the police station, have her engage with the police officers, um, different things like that. So, I'm definitely looking forward to that once once yeah. we get our our restrictions lifted and we can go out again and really just um, put her to work. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I think
0: it'll be cool. Question for you. It yep. sounds like a lot of work. And you mentioned getting demoted and having going. Past- <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had dogs never make it out of that. I'm looking at them I'm like, yeah, you're just like me. We're never going to pass this class. Um, like, just don't run in the street and we'll be okay. Like that's yeah. all the basics from you. Uh, but to go back and do that class and to work your way back up and then go through all of like, why, why did you stick with it? What made you stick with it?
1: Um well I started to believe it was a calling I believed that I was meant to do it you know I was like if all of these things happened and they fell into place um yeah I definitely believed that it was that it was a calling and I think that's what kept me going but I'll also say Casey that she taught me a lot in the process Mm. she taught me a lot about patience she taught me a lot about grace. Um I remember like <laughs> there was one day that um we were doing our regular morning routine and she was just, she didn't want to go to the bathroom that morning. She just wanted to, like, sniff around. And I was, like, I was all stressed out because she yeah. was, Go, know, I go was down. like, Hur, hurry up. Like, I could literally hear the cars. Like, we lived, like, near the, the main street. I could hear the cars building. And, like, with every car that drove by, like, I was getting more and more anxious.
2: Oh, and
1: so, no. so I ended up yelling at her that morning. And I felt terrible. Like, I felt so bad the whole day. And I got home. And she's just sitting there at her gate, like had totally forgotten about it and was like wagging her tail and so excited to see me. And I, I remember in that day, I just learned so much about like just grace and forgiveness and that sort of thing. Yeah. So she's taught me that. She's taught me patience as well. I mean, it takes a ton of patience to go through that journey. Yeah. Um, positivity, things like that. I mean, she... What's interesting is even though she's a strong-willed dog, like you almost have to be overly positive yeah. with her, to, because that's how she responds. Right? You know, they they feed off of your whatever your energy is. Mm. So if I go into a situation and I'm Tense, or I'm nervous, or I'm frustrated, then she's going to respond the same way. And so I had to learn to, like, okay, like we're going to training, and you know, I'm going to be like super upbeat and positive today. And right, you know, so, um, yeah, she, I mean, she taught me a ton through the journey that I think just really made me a better human overall. So that was the cool part, too.
0: That is cool. So, so there's some benefits beyond the work and some, oh, yeah, learning lessons you never would have gotten otherwise
1: oh yeah for sure
0: and it, and it ties into I mean it's it ties into the whole veterinarian thing But just trying to help people it right the end is not necessarily the training the end is the stuff that you'd be doing right now if you weren't stuck at home and, <laughs> right. you'd be going to visit people and bring them a little spark of joy that yep. you know, a human may not be able to do we're a furry little creature I and mean, who says no to a cute little I know the reason we have teddy bears right because these furry little animals are like yeah, get over here, little animal. Like, I, <laughs> I like the human, but I like this free thing.
1: She's uh, what's really cool is um, we've had a couple scenarios that were not planned that mm. she's that she's been able to work, if you will. Mm. So we had um, we had our neighbor the other day. It was a brand new neighbor. I've never met this lady before. Um, had faith with me. It was just taking her out for a walk, and this lady starts to tell me about how her her husband had just recently passed away and that she was a widow and that sort of thing. And I'm telling you, like faith just on cue, just walked over to the lady and started like comforting her. And it was just so cool to watch. Like she never vest on or anything like that, but she just knew that this lady like really, really needed some, some comfort. So that was, that was cool to watch. We also, um, we had an unfortunate incident outside like actually right outside of my apartment complex. There was um it's probably a few months back, like the end of last year. It was actually right before she got certified. And um it was a fatal accident. So really, really tough day for
0: right outside your apartment.
1: literally right outside my apartment wow. complex. Um I was actually the craziest part is I was actually probably three cars behind the person that got hit. Um, so So anyway, when I realized what was happening, I ran home real quick and grabbed Faith and, you know, threw her vest on. And it was kind of funny because she was sleeping. So she (laughs) did a good snooze. And I was like, all right, come on, it's time to go to work. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) She's like, let me get the, you know, sleep out of my eyes.
0: Right.
1: Uh, But yeah, she, uh, she went down. There were actually multiple victims, um, but yeah, she went down and she was able to, I mean, she just walked right up to the people and was able to just provide some comfort Mm. at a time that was just really, really hard. And it was actually that day that I knew that she was going to be okay. I was like, okay, like she's ready to test. (laughs) Like she, she has everything she needs to know. And it was cool for me that day just to see it all come together, you know, in in a really meaningful way. So yeah I mean I think those those moments you know and the few moments that we've been able to to go out and serve people have been really really cool
0: yeah and she is she do you think she takes after you or do you think you guys are kind of like on the same page because I know you you do you've done some trips right to like South America and other places to yeah
1: um I don't know. If she takes after me.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know how that comes about. To each other kind of thing. Maybe,
1: maybe. I mean, we're a team and a lot of, a lot of therapy work does depend on the relationship. Yeah. So, um, so I'm constantly, even now while we're stuck in the house, you know, we're still doing training and stuff like that. So sure. I'm constantly working on the relationship with her, um, just to make sure that that stays strong. But yeah, um, I have done a couple of trips down to El Salvador, Costa Rica, um, to do mission work there. So that's been really cool. If you're watching the video, you can actually see in my background is um, is the city of San Salvador. Wow. So there, um, whenever we go there, there's a restaurant that we visit up on the volcano and we always go right at sunset and so you can see the whole city of, mm. of San Salvador. Um, so that's cool. Um, in El Salvador, I've been able to work with an organization called La Casa de Mi Padre and it stands for my father's house. Father's
2: house,
1: yeah. Yep, my father's house, and um, they are doing some great work down there. It's like it's more like a foster group home.
2: Okay. So
1: they take in um, children that have just had really difficult paths, and for whatever reason, just can't stay with their families, mm-hmm. and they come to live with a, um, a host family.
2: Mm. And so
1: the home is really set up like a family home, and so there's a house parent couple. That lives there. A lot of times, the house parents also have their own kids yeah. that live there as well, and then they um, they live together as a family. They do everything together as a family. So these kids who've had these difficult past really get to see what it's like to live as a family, and so right. they get that they get that model for them, and they're able to also they give them a lot of services and support to really help um, help them heal from the trauma that they faced, and also help them get back on track with their school because a lot of times they're behind in school as oh, well yeah. so it's a really it's an awesome organization and I've had tons of fun just going down there and being able to meet the kids and create relationships with them and it's um it's interesting I speak a fair amount of Spanish but it's interesting because sometimes you know the language of play is just universal you know they don't even care they don't care that you know the language they don't care that you um, know the rules sometimes they don't even know the rules yeah, you know, proper, right? just kind of making proper. and making it up as they yeah. go along <laughs> so but yeah it's uh it's been great it's been a really um rewarding experience so I
0: was gonna say they might offer services but there's nothing quite like just being able to let your guard down in a home that cares about you and be like wait people yep. are being nice to me and yeah I can just sort of let out my breath for a second, you know, Yeah, rough time, that's, that's a, that's a really cool blessing to be part of, for sure, what's it like, like, is it just, like, straight up third world country, or you fly into San Salvador, and, I mean, what's it like?
1: So, um, San Salvador is actually very commercialized, really, so um, it almost looks like it looks like Atlanta or really? Boston or whatever <laughs> um, it 's very commercialized actually out right outside, we stay in a hotel there, and that that part of that is for safety reasons. If you know anything about central america uh, it 's not the safest place in the world to travel, although we 've never had any trouble but there there are safety risks there, and so we do stay in one of the nicer hotels there purely mm-hmm. be- for safety risks or for right. For safety reasons sure. um, but right outside of our hotel there's actually a mcdonald's and sure. <laughs> it looks just like a mcdonald's that you would see like here in the states um but then the uh, the farm where where La Casa actually operates is in a much more rural part of nice. El Salvador, and so that um, the farm is actually very nice. Like the kids live in very nice homes, like you and I would live in. Yeah, um, it's it's awesome. Like if I was a kid in El Salvador, like I would think I died and went to heaven, <laughs> you know, because it's just such a nice place and it's beautiful. Um, I mean, the the scenery, the um, we call it like the plants and the flowers it's very yes. tropical but there is a um, there's a community that surrounds the farm that La Casa sits on and that is very third world so that's yes. everything that you could imagine in terms of a third world country and we always take a day when we're there to go and visit that part of the
2: right
1: of the community and we'll we'll take them food and we'll go out and visit with them so, but yeah, that is very... Like very,
0: shantytown, like tin roof kind of thing, bare yeah. floors and... Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them don't have, they don't have kitchens, they're cooking with fire, oh, they're, yeah. they're hanging the clothes out to dry. Um, one of the cool things that we did on one trip that I went there, we were actually able to take water filters to them so that they could clean their water and so that and that has a lot of um, health implications as well that feed over to every other part of their life so so that was really cool to be able to provide them with a with a water filter so they could have clean water.
0: I think that I was saying this earlier it's important for people to see that or to experience that um, at least once to really appreciate like you know even here, like, we have running water in our restaurants, you know, yep. or, or in our rest stops at highways, like, <laughs> and and some of our rest stops probably are nicer than the houses of some of these people by far. Oh, yeah,
1: for you know? sure.
0: And just just makes you appreciate, for me, it was like, it was in Iraq and that kind of place. Um, yeah. The same kind of thing where there's some some nice houses, and you're like, oh, I didn't expect this. It was actually very nice. And, and then some people just living on just surviving, you know. Right. And, Make They're sure just trying
2: really
0: to make, make
1: it. it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely appreciate what I have so much more
2: mm-hmm. after
1: being there, for sure. So, yeah, it's an interesting experience.
0: Yeah, but you know the acts of service, right? Whether you're yeah. local or down there, you're just trying to help people out and.
1: Helper of humans.
0: What's
1: that? <laughs> I said, helper of humans.
0: Helper of humans. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. Mike drop <laughs> so, hey, how can people connect with you where are some good places to reach out linkedin twitter all those so yeah definitely i spend most
1: of my time on linkedin okay so um you can definitely connect with me nikki nixon on linkedin okay. um also, Faith has an Instagram page. I don't know if anybody's interested in her, in her Instagram page. Um, I think it's Faith the Canine Missionary it's her is her Instagram. Um, so we post a lot about our adventures and things like Faith, that. Faith the
0: missionary dog. Yeah. Faith the missionary dog.
1: Yep, that's her uh that's hey. her Instagram. So Hello. if you're interested in following our adventures with Faith, um, you can check us out there too. Pretty sure
0: she's got more followers than I do.
1: Uh, <laughs> probably, probably. We're just getting it going, so it's still awesome. growing.
0: Well, You got photos there too, the training and.
1: Yeah, I taught her yesterday um, how to. I taught her yesterday how to sit in a chair, so that, <laughs> so that way, um, and there was a purpose behind it because right now, like everything that we're doing is video. Yeah. So I want her to be able to like sit beside me.
0: Yeah. On video,
1: so that we worked on that yesterday. So she had fun.
0: Very cool. Cool looking dog.
1: Yeah, she's she's a pretty dog.
0: Mark, wow. Okay, cool. We got some great place to reach out. We got to follow yeah. the dog, both shore. Um, thank you so much for coming on here.
1: Thank you. Appreciate you having me.
0: it's Been a blast. And like I've been learning things. And so for those of you listening, if you have learned anything, and I know you have, <laughs> I literally have two pages of notes over here. Front and back um, wow, all the things about ABM getting practical with that, the confidence the conviction, helping people out the ICP testing things LinkedIn, adpixel do it right away there's so much stuff on here so be a thought leader, share this episode with one person yep. forty two people ninety eight people thousand and eight <laughs> like I pick a number, just share it with them get the information out you'll be the thought leader that way and Again, Nikki, this has been fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Keep in, keep in touch and best of luck on those, those, those interviews you have coming up. And Thank you. There you go. So I'm, I'm excited for you. Cool. Thanks a lot, Casey. You bet. Hey, have a good one. And everyone right. out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing <laughs> Show. We will catch you all next time. All right. A big thank you to today's sponsors, Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway, if you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in a chat, do a demo and tell them that Casey sent you and that book will be on its way to your door. All right. We'll see you all in the next one.